this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Dean Triple from Agoric. We're about to be taken to school by one of the people that have been building these things since the 1980s, and I loved it. So Dean and his team uh, effectively were building and designing something called Amex, which was one of the first smart contract platforms. And this is dated back to 1988, um, give around that time. So this is, you can do the math, 1988 to 2019. So we learned a lot about what Agoric is now from a team that has been doing this for over three decades. And so Agoric is solving security, usability, and interoperability using an object capability, which is called OCAP, security architecture, in which access to a programming object itself is the authority to use the object. So we learned a lot about what's the difference between traditional, you know, what we would think Ethereum and smart contracts and what this is about. And one of the things that also I've talked a lot about in the show recently is that with Ethereum proper, it's using Solidity as its design language. Um, and one of the things that Agoric is doing is they're saying, well, no, let's use JavaScript because it is used by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of developers out there, and it is a universal language. And so I really am interested in programs and protocols that are using JavaScript these days um, instead of using a language that some people have been having some difficulty learning. And so OCAP, which is, again, one of their main components in, in Agoric, is being used by Salesforce and Google. Um, you'll learn how that's being done. And so we learned a lot about the differences between Ethereum smart contracts and other platforms and what Agoric is doing. Really, really love this conversation. As I said, talking to someone who's been at this for over 30 years is special. They have such unique perspective. And so remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear from Dean Tribble at Agoric. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I'm really excited about this because we have Dean Tribble from Agoric with us. Dean and his team have more experience, in my opinion, than most of the teams that I have seen in a while. And so I'm really excited about this. Dean, how are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. This is excellent. So Dean designed the negotiation process and contract for the first smart contract system uh, Amex as a principal architect at Microsoft. He designed the Midori distributed object compatible operating system as a founder and CTO for Agoric acquired by Microsoft. He developed the brokerage information system for Schwab's active traders and more. As I said from the get-go, Dean and his team have more experience than most people I have talked to. So this is going to be really great. So, Dean, if I could, you know, ask you a little bit more about your background, and then I want to hear a little bit more about Amex, um, because as I believe sure. Autodesk invested in Amex in the ripe old age of 1988. <laughs> and so, this has been narrative that I've been pounding the table on is that Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, in, in 08 and 09, did not invent crypto. 
things that were happening in this space since the early 80s, probably even before that, but David Chaum with his paper on mixed tables in 1982 and things like this, there are things that have been happening here for decades. And so, Dean, if you could, a little bit about your background and then a little bit more about that Amex uh, kind of uh, smart contracting platform that you developed. Sure. So I usually start by referring to the Agoric Open Systems papers, which were by Mark Miller and Eric Drexler, and they were published in 1988. Uh, I met Mark Miller at Xerox, well, we were both working at Xerox Park doing secure, distributed operating systems and programming language research. And so uh, Mark uh, published the Agoric Open Systems papers, which were really uh, the first sort of big articulation of software agents creating and participating in markets. Um, and so that, that was a uh, seminal work is referred to by the Andreessen, you know, crypto canon. It's obviously referred to by our, by our website. But that was where what I think of as smart contracts started with the basic idea of it. The American Information Exchange, Amex, was the sister company to Xanadu. They were both invested in by Autodesk. And it was doing a business um, to, to, provide, to enable... Uh, experts to provide consulting to people who needed that consulting. So there was a marketplace where you could you could ask for feedback on a business plan, and the likes of Mitch Kapoor for the right price would come and review your business plan, and, you know, in a consulting arrangement and provide you feedback on it. There was a marketplace for software components that you could say, "I need a fix of the following form," and post that in the market. Someone could come along and say, "You know, well, on agreement, I'll." Try you this much, on delivery this much, and on acceptance this much. When I deliver the software thing, you'll look at it. If it works, I get paid. And so that was the online system that uh, Amex arranged, and that was formally in the way we think about smart contracts, that was a smart contract. It was, wow. you know, uh, a contract, you know, sort of a contract-like arrangement between parties where the terms of the contract are enforced by software. In the Amex case, it was Amex acting as a trusted third party running that software, but it was the software that determined when you did these things, you got paid this much and the rights transferred this way. And I think it's important, again, I'm going to say it, this was in the 80s. This was <laughs> not... This was not in nineteen in, in twenty you know twenty fifteen with the aunt with the you know with the convergence of Ethereum. You know, this was not something that just kind of happened all of a sudden. This was years and years of development and there was actually commercialization of it already happening for a lot longer than people think. So I think that's it's so important so people understand. Um if you could just give us a, you know, you did it already before, but we're going to be talking a lot about smart contracts, but yeah. tell us a little bit about what Agoric is doing. Um, let me add a couple things on the history, if I may, first. That Please. that that um, there was a community, the cypherpunks community, that circled around Xanadu and Amex and RSA and various others. And so these ideas and Foresight Institute, and these ideas were floating around in that area. Uh, in fact, Mark Miller and I were just talking about yesterday where we had lots of discussions. For example, Nick Zabo was part of that extended community, Hal mm -hmm. Finney. And so the ideas... Uh, appeared there and the articulation of the name smart contract where at the time smart light bulbs and smart refrigerators was you know cool new science fiction right 
he identified important characteristics of what we did at Amex that said, oh, you know, this is a really cool thing. This is a general thing. We should do more of that. Let's give it a name and develop the idea. But it came out of that community. So, so, so it, was a, it was an important contribution. But that's why when people look at the history, the term smart contract surfaced after Amex. And Amex was sort of this, this first instance of what turned out to be a general useful category. I think that's 1997, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know what? I don't remember the dates, but but in that period, Nick Zabo worked for Agorix. The original Agorix uh, worked for me on building an ecosystem of software agents cooperating, and you know, and and you know, he was consulting with various groups, and 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 so there was a, a community, you know, processing all these ideas and thinking about all these ideas, and right. a lot of things emerged out of that. So as I said, we're going to be talking a lot about smart contracts, um, and so a brief kind of a macro understanding. So in the global economy, establishing trust costs up to 35% of GDP. <laughs> Today, smart contract platforms are insecure, hard to use, and limited to specific networks. If you could kind of unpack that, you know, we've sure. had this narrative on the show Again, I am not a Bitcoin maximalist. I am not an Ethereum maximalist. I am a truth and information maximalist. I want to know what's happening out there. And the more and more that you unravel and the more and the more you discover and talk to people about, you learn more. So what is exactly happening? You know, you know, today, as you said, you know, as the note says, smart contract platforms are insecure, hard to use, and limited to specific networks. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so, uh, if I let me start with the cost of trust and and what's a smart contract, and then I'll get I'll, I'll make sure to answer that as well. So, what I said, you know, it's software that's enforcing the 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 terms of a contract like arrangement. We had that in Amex. Uh, as on a tr running on a trusted third party, and I say Amex was before blockchain. Amex was actually before the internet, right? Um, but let's focus on before blockchain. What blockchain brings is uh, systems where multiple computers in multiple administrative domains and sovereignty, so, so under different countries' legal systems, um, are agreeing on data and choices, right? They're agreeing on who has what bank balance and whose payment came first in the simple case. Now, Bitcoin is a smart contract, right? It is software that is orchestrating a particular arrangement between parties to allow money transfer. Ethereum was this first system that gave the idea that users could supply these smart contracts on a blockchain. And so it got to replace the idea of a trusted third party with essentially a trusted infrastructure that I could run these, the, these contracts on. But fundamentally, it's having a platform that has data and choices, and then with smart contract platforms, execution, code execution, that executes with high integrity. And so that's the reason why blockchain and smart contracts reduce the cost of trust is because now I can execute code and have data where, where, where it's as if everyone is necessarily speaking the truth because everything they say is written down with high integrity and trivially proved to be the same thing they said last week. And so the cost of trust, you know, in, in, in a smart contract environment is reduced. You know, what it takes for me to be sure that, that, you're, that you're committed to what you're saying or what you're saying this week is the same as what you said last week in 
existing systems, the cost of trust includes, you know, audits, reconciliation, inspections, um, the, you know, redundant filing of documents to make sure everyone has the same thing, you know, um, uh, review of your documents versus my documents to discover that, oh, we missed a transaction, that sort of thing. And much of those costs are the things that rolling blockchains into a system can reduce. Um, the 35% study came from economists at the um, RMIT University in Australia. It's a preliminary study, but we've, you know, uh, presented that answer in a variety of forums and to, you know, people from IBM, people from, you know, train companies, you know, uh, uh, FedEx, those kinds of folks. And people will kind of look for a moment and go, 35% route. Yeah, 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 I can see it. And they quickly think through all the places where they're spending money that if they could just rely on the data underneath, they wouldn't have to be spending that money. And, um, and so I expect that number will survive. But a comparable number is World Economic Forum uh, did an analysis on simply trade, right? On, 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 on chain of custody for physical delivery of packages. And that number, if we could just count on those things being accurate and not have to have, you know, the paper bill of ladings and inspect, you know, and, 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 and review of their contents because they might have been tampered with and all that kind of thing, it would reduce the global GDP by 5% and increase world trade by 15%. So that's a pretty comparable number. So these seem to be kind of in the ballpark in the, you know, several trillions worldwide. Interesting. And so... I want to have a little bit of a philosophical question, and I, I hope you don't mind, but I think with your experience, this should be not too difficult. But so with the contract, and this has been something that we've that we've talked about on the show before, and this is something that is a narrative out there, but sure. with a contract, you typically have privacy. You don't want, if you're having if you're striking a contract between a supplier and a retailer, or if you're striking a contract between two parties to a you know specific deal, you don't necessarily want those details out in the public and you have someone that obviously keeps them under lock and key. And with the idea of, you know, Ethereum and some other smart contracts out there, you typically will have validators and nodes that are monitoring the terms and monitoring if X equals Y, that that those, you know, things happen that are supposed to happen. And so now you've seen, you know, iterations on, you know, kind of privacy on Ethereum with like things like Keep. So I'm curious, you know, do you think that this notion of having, you know, trade secrets and things that are supposed to be kind of private in a contract, you know, kind of, you know, still remain that way, even though it's supposed to be, you know, we're moving to a trustless kind of decentralized system? Right. So the answer, I, I like, you know, Zuko of Zcash, his, his phrase is, you know, commerce needs privacy. Um, commerce needs confidentiality. So, so we absolutely believe that commerce needs confidentiality. A lot more things than people think could execute transparently uh, in public. But, you know, for example, if I'm a brokerage firm or, you know, London Stock Exchange, you know, uh, um, New York Stock Exchange, you know, NASDAQ, whatever, where I'm selling index data, if I'm disclosing the index data on chain, I don't really have anything to sell. And where did that business go, right? And so having the coordination for which stocks have updated and, 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 and who's got what 
uh, smart contracts that say they have certain rights to certain data, that can execute fairly transparently, but the actual data itself needs to come from a private source that, that is verifying the high integrity information of who's allowed to get it or, or which smart contracts are allowed to leverage it or what have you. But the data itself needs to, needs to be delivered through, through private sources. Right. And so, um, you know, some combination of, you know, now, now we are building public infrastructure for large-scale use of public transactions. But it's straightforward to be able to publicly commit to data that is held privately so that the other people I share the private data with can verify that it is in the, indeed the data that my public transaction committed to without either of us disclosing that data publicly. Right. And so, you know, that's going to be crucial for any kinds of transactions that involve healthcare, any kind of transactions that involve people's private data, that sort of thing. And, you know, there's both holding it offline, there are MCXs, there are zero knowledge technologies. All of those are really valuable complements to the high integrity execution that is our primary initial focus. Right. So I want to also just talk about this specific note. Then I have a question about how you guys are doing what you're doing. So the first problem for smart contract development is security. So Hosho, the smart contract auditing firm, found that 25% of audits revealed critical bugs and 60% of all projects had at least one security issue. So Hosho and Ethereum smart contract platforms are still immature, quote unquote, in terms of tools and practices and have both experienced bugs and hacks. That's just a note in research out there. You know, some yep. people may agree or disagree, but that is a note that uh, we've. There's been apparently some you know issues found and bugs found in some of the the products and platforms that could also be identified for solidity. Um, and I want to talk to you more about you know, kind of the languages that you guys are using in terms of JavaScript. But Agoric is solving security, usability, and interoperability using an object capacity capability. OCAP security architecture in which access to a programming object itself is the authority to use the object. So unpack what OCAP is because I know it's really sure. important. Then I also yeah. want to talk to you about why you elected to use JavaScript because there's a very specific reason. I think it's, it's a good one. Yep, yep. So, um, you know, as you say, people have had these security, ex uh, security vulnerabilities that have resulted in tens of millions of dollars in losses within minutes with essentially no recourse. And it's not because they aren't smart, right? These are really smart people that really understand security. And our fundamental contention is if they can't get it right, what chance do the rest of us have, right? And the, the reason why they can't get it right, the reason why they, has, they have these problems has to do with the security architecture of platforms like Ethereum, not, again, because these people are not smart or not thinking hard about it or don't care about security. And, uh, and, that, and, and so to us, the fundamental thing that, that, that we need a new platform for is to have a different security architecture that normal humans can succeed at programming. Because, you know, our goal for the last several decades, for the last literally 30 years, has been to enable the world's economy to move online in, in a decentralized fashion. And to do that, you've got to enable millions of programmers to be able to program this stuff. It can't be just a few experts. Um, and so, um, the, the, so Ethereum, uh, you know, it's great that it's that it has successfully shown that there's a real value in this platform, but or in in this in this general approach. But its security architecture is a problem. So so it has what we call the identity-based access control architecture. Actually, what a lot of people in the security uh, community call it, and and 
what that means is, is well, let me give a, a simple example uh, for security. I'm going to loan you my car. So I give you my key. You get in the car. You drive to the hotel. You give the key to the valet. You go in. You come back out. Another valet gives you the key. You drive home. Right? And that is the OCAP architecture. I've got an object. It represents access. I give you the key. You can take the, you can take the car um, you know, with the key, go someplace, you know, hand it to a mechanic. He repairs it. You get it back, whatever it is. Right? In the identity-based access control architecture of Ethereum and related systems, instead, I tell the car, David's allowed to drive. Right? So now you go to the hotel. You ask the valet for his name. Uh, more her name, and then you go to the car and you try and let them drive the car, and you aren't. You discover you are not the administrator on the car. So now my choices are to leave you high and dry with my car in the middle of nowhere, or make you an administrator. And as a result, not only can you park the car, but you can sell it, right? And that that's that's a typical crack that you get in security that you get out of identity-based access control, where either I have I give you too little authority or I give you too much authority. And by making you the administrator, I've enabled you to do the use case you had in mind, not even realizing you could do all these other things, including sell my car, right? And, right. So, and so that's why experts have trouble getting it right is because our human intuitions about what we authorize when we say, David can do it and David can bless other people so you can you know, get the valet and, and give him access to the car. We don't even realize all the additional authority we've given. Whereas if I've got a key and I'm handing it to you, it's clear I'm giving you driving authority. Not only am I giving you that authority, I'm giving you the means to be able to accomplish it. And that's easy for me to have in my head and tie together, right? In the same way, if I, if I give you access to my account, now suddenly you can draw out any of the money and I hope you only draw out enough to pay for the concert ticket you're buying or that I'm buying. But if instead I just pull out a payment of exactly what it is I'm supposed to pay you and I hand that to you and I don't use your name, I don't need to know who you are, I'm just giving you money and you're giving me a concert ticket and now I can go to a concert. And that's kind of what we're used to in many different circumstances in our economy and that model turns out to correspond to giving you, you know, a key to my car is I'm giving you a payment, I'm giving you bearer instruments that let you, that, 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 that let me and you accomplish some interesting trade or some interesting interaction. All right. I love, I love those metaphors and, <laughs> you know, those metaphors are really helpful um, for people to understand complex, you know, kind of uh, processes that you guys are doing. I'm curious. So Ethereum, when I first met it, you know, back in 2015 or 16 was expressed to me as what was going to be used to build web 3.0. It was a system Obviously, they consider it a Turing complete, a supercomputer at that point in time, but a Turing com complete mm -hmm. system that would allow, you know, we've seen the emergence of decentralized apps on top of it. So with Agoric, is that something similar? Can applications be built on top of it similar to that? Absolutely. We're building, so we have our platform where you can write smart contracts in a secure subset of JavaScript, and we'll get back to the JavaScript question. Um, write multiple contracts that all interact with each other so we can build contracts that are reusable instead of having to start from scratch every time. So if I need escrow, I can just grab an escrow contract. If I'm an art expert and I want to use an auction, I can do a quick search and find out what's the best auction contract to instantiate, grab one of those, you know, use escrow to, 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 to hold access to my, um, 
uh, to my digital rights to, to, to art and put together my business because I'm an art expert, not an auction expert. You know, so being able to have a reusable component of, 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 of smart contract uh, uh, um, elements um, is, is going to be hugely valuable. So, um, so we're, we're producing that. Our first testnet, which we, we, we made available or, you know, deployed a private testnet uh, in June, um, is built on Cosmos technology. So it's built on the Tendermint uh, uh, consensus algorithm. Mm -hmm. The overall architecture, we have some desires we want of the underlying consensus algorithm, but our our expectation and plan is to deploy the same infrastructure on top of multiple different consensus algorithms. So on top of multiple different uh, chain infrastructures with, with interoperability between them. So the interoperability protocol that we're working on uh, at the, at the low level at the data communication protocol, we're collaborating with the uh, Cosmos folks, the ICF and uh, Tenderman.com folks to build an IBC that implements our architecture for uh, data protocol between machines and from machines to, from and from sorry between chains and from chains to individual machines or or quorum you know permission chains or what have you, and then above that we build our asynchronous object system so that not only can I share data or transfer tokenized rights, you know, in our system, I can have a JavaScript object that represents a concert ticket where that was issued in a smart contract running on a Polkadot uh, uh, parachain and I'm running a contract to sell it on a Cosmos zone and I can sell it to someone whose money comes from Bitcoin or Ethereum or what have you. And all of those should be able to interoperate over this kind of infrastructure. And to me, that's crucial, right? An economy is an interoperation of all of the ways people collaborate. No one chain, no one currency, no one legal system makes up the entire world economy. It is, it, it is the interoperation of many of these things, and, and our technology allows the same kind of thing between uh, uh, chains and, and, and consensus algorithms and, and right. our contract environment. So in your expert experience, and I'm going to, this is another thing. I don't call many people experts, but again, you've had, you've been at this for over 30 years. So I'm, I'm defining you as an expert. You know, there's a lot of people who say they're experts on social media, but they're not to the level of you. Um, interoperability and the things you're talking about in terms of having parachains and having things, you know, and, you know, in terms of what Cosmos is doing with Tendermint and having mm -hmm. the ability to, you know, atomic swap and everything else that's involved. How hard, when, when do you see, you know, when do you see that all happening? Is that a year? Is that two years? Is that five years? When is that all going to really kind of mesh? <laughs> well, so, I mean, obviously atomic swaps are some happening now. Right. Uh, uh, next week is a big review of the specification for IBC 1.0. So that's uh, last week of July 2019, uh, depending on when people hear this. And so that'll be the, the, the first review of the 1.0 candidate. Uh, ICF and Agoric are barreling ahead, uh, specifying, working out the details and starting to implement it. So we will certainly start to see implementations of that later this year um, with a goal towards it going live on Cosmos early on with bridges to, uh, you know, on their testnet, bridging to the Agoric testnet using IBC underneath our distributed asynchronous uh, uh, computation platform. And so I expect interoperability is a thing in 2019, right? You know, it similarly, 
um, uh, the interledger protocol has got new life and people are starting to uh, think about how to deploy and build and move money around that way. Um, we are working some with Suma and you mentioned Keep earlier um, with these projects to be able to, to, to bring Bitcoin, which has a, a, a lot of value, a lot of monetary value, store of value, speculative value, what have you, but it's got some, you know, what a lot of us consider to be real money there, be able to bring that money over onto other chains so you can use it there, so you can you know, collateralize new stable coins, so you can spend it in auctions or, 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 or empower new uh, market institutions on the Agoric chain, on new Cosmos zones, on, on, on uh, Polkadot parachains when they come out, etc. And so I think Interop is a thing, you know, basically right now. Wow. Well, that, that should get people excited. Um, <laughs> I had a question in regards to scale. And so it was interesting. I had a great chat a few months back with Munib um, and we were talking about scale. And I think it was an enlightening moment because a lot of people out there try to benchmark certain consensus algorithms, whether it's proof of work and, you know, with Bitcoin, it's three transactions per second with Ethereum, it's somewhere in the round of seven or eight or so. Um, you know, with, I just, you know, we had a great chat with the folks at Beam and they're stating around 15 to 17 transactions per second with Mimblewimble. Um, you know, I'm curious, you know, from your point of view, because in this world, you know, even though we are moving to more of an interoperability kind of mode, it is my opinion that I've stated that Bitcoin is more of a transactional use case, whereas Ethereum and Agoric and others out there are more of a computational um, and with that, you know, kind of putting in that in that taxonomy, that transactions per second and having the benchmark of things like Visa really don't apply. So I'm curious, in your opinion, for scaling purposes and for speed, what do you think is a proper bench or what do you think that, you know, we can expect from, you know, kind of distributed decentralized systems as it regards to operations that you're trying to perform? So... That's a really interesting question. You know, scaling is important. And while there's some challenges to it, it's something that people have been doing for decades. And so there's a sense in which, you know, there's some hard engineering there, but I'm not worried about it. The, the proof of stake algorithms are already orders of magnitude faster than the proof of work algorithms. Well, maybe that orders of magnitude may be too strong, but, but an order of magnitude or two. Um, and there's, uh, you know, opportunity to take it farther than that and go ahead and interoperate with, um, you know, as you say, like Bitcoin to be able to, to have the value, bring it over, peg it, and then spend it really fast in what to Bitcoin looks like a, you know, payment channel or something like that. But to the rest of us, it's just, you know, we're spending tokenized Bitcoin as if it was a local currency and we can use it at the full local transaction rates. Uh, so, so to, to us, what's important is that we are first architecturally neutral on the underlying consensus algorithm. So as new high performance ones are become available, we can, we can extend to that migrate contracts straightforwardly from one underlying consensus mechanism to another. And, and so we'll just ride that engineering curve. And since it's well established that software folks know how to do that sort of engineering, 
uh, I don't think that's going to be a concern. I mean, in some sense, for any particular application, worst case is for that application, you establish a quote proof of authority chain, and those have you know yet higher performance at as at a trade off of lower decentralization. But in order to get use cases deployed and scaling, and and let the research in high performance decentralized uh, uh, transactions catch up, that's a fine intermediate strategy. I'm much more concerned about the security architecture elements because you know it doesn't matter how fast you are if it's not a secure architecture for doing commerce then I don't want people using it and um, and so and the security is much more intrinsic to the architecture of how one interoperates between chains and between smart contracts and so it's much harder to change later I mean you know the people you know, there's a lot of smart people working on all these different chains, um, and you know, and and we have reason to want to squeeze plenty of value in into and out of Ethereum. But you know, the people working there realize that it's got these security architecture issues that are intrinsic to it and are going to be very hard for them to 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 move out of over time. And but you know, they're they're also smart enough to know that that's something that they'll have to start lining up to do. So. Um, yeah, and they're and they're moving to proof of stake, uh, right? Um, for increased bandwidth, right? Yeah, so you know they're just adding some more kind of uh, <laughs> some more candles to the cake. Yeah. Um, so finally, I want to just quickly get an update and understand this a little bit more. So apparently, you've released a proof of concept of your OCAP uh -huh. style JavaScript execution yep. environment, the Agoric Playground VAT. Uh -huh. What is that, and what can you do with it? And tell people a little bit more about that. Okay, so first, uh, so uh, uh, so playground is deprecated. It's now swing set, or we now you know have we have the the new version that we released with our test net is the the second generation of that, and is 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 our real our real target architecture. The playground was the early release, so people could start playing with the general approach and to demonstrate end to end that we could do uh, 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 secure execution in JavaScript. Uh, for smart contracts, uh, but 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 our testnet architecture is called SwingSet. Those are available on GitHub. It is a what you what what um, we call a nanokernel architecture, where where, where there's the individual vats of computation, individual islands of sequential transactional computation, are running on top of the SwingSet kernel. Um, it, and it orchestrates their communication, persistence, uh, secure, asynchronous messaging, all those kinds of things. And so the, the, the Cosmic Swing Set, which is another one of our repositories for our testnet, is the integration of that onto the Cosmos Tendermint or Cosmos SDK and Tendermint uh, consensus uh, system underneath. And so that allows people to, you know, they can download it, run it locally, uh, look at some of the very early smart contract uh, uh, APIs, and start to build and play with the architecture. And we'll be, we're identifying and working with partners to start building real applications on top of it as we evolve our smart contract APIs on top of our swing set uh, runtime. Awesome. And so... We're going to want to obviously keep tabs and have you back and talk, uh, give us an update on everything that's happening there. What do we, what we also do on the show is getting to know our guests a little bit more aside from their professional careers and everything they're doing in crypto. But so the two areas that we like to focus on are what you're reading. Um, <laughs> and that can be any 
cornucopia of things that could be fiction or nonfiction, whatever you've read recently that you feel is something really profound or special or something that people might like, and then what music you listen to. And I think that tells a lot about a person's personality. So what you've read, what you're reading, and what music you like. Okay, so, and I do have a question you asked in the middle we never answered that I want us to get back to after that. Sure. Um, um, so music, I'm actually fairly eclectic. Uh, I like uh, vocal jazz because I used to sing it. I like classic and rock and roll because, uh, you know, because that's what I grew up with. Uh, and so those are the two that, that, that run most commonly. But I do have a listening list that's more eclectic and a little calmer or a little less uh, engaging that I use for programming that includes things like Gypsy Kings or, 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 or what have you. So it, it, it's fairly broad ranging. Um, I mostly don't have giant boom booming uh, uh, hip hop, except occasionally and there's some really good ones. <laughs> <laughs> and anything that you've read recently? And then we'll get back to that last question. I think it was about JavaScript. Yes. So I think the most interesting, engaging science fiction that I've read recently is um, uh, uh, from Mark Stigler, who is, remember, I, at, before we talked, I mentioned Mark Miller, my, my, my uh, uh, chief scientist, uh, goes by Mark M. And Mark Stigler was the reason he goes by Mark M is because it's, uh, 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 he was the Mark S in the room. Mm -hmm. and, and he's uh, writing a book. I mean, he's had, had several, like Gentle Seduction is my absolute, you know, favorite science fiction story of all time. Earth In Earthweb, the hero is a prediction market. And so uh, he's currently doing a series called The Brain Trust. And so we were just at dinner the other day talking about uh, the smart, uh, the, 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 the cryptocurrency in his next book in that series that helps save the economy of the world from uh, a, a major downturn. And so wow. he always has provocative, interesting ways to think about upcoming and new technologies, and especially new technologies and software, and how they interact with social evolution and, and change in the world. So it's a lot of good, interesting stuff. That's awesome. And so before we uh, let people know where to find more about Agoric, we had that last dangling <laughs> question about JavaScript. And I think this is important because in the relation to other different protocols out there and as regards to Ethereum again and again, this is not to pick on Ethereum. I am a fan of Ethereum. There's <laughs> amazing things that are done on Ethereum. But Ethereum uses Solidity, which has you know, caused some issues because it is a new language. It is something that to most developers is a little bit foreign. Um, and the team over at Agoric have used JavaScript, and there is an important reason for that. There's a reason why you are using it. There is history, there is lineage, there is battle testing there. So tell us a little bit about that, and then also when you, uh, after finishing that, tell people where they can learn more about Agoric. Sure. So when we started down this road of doing smart contracts, we actually knew lots of elements of the architecture that we needed to be able to succeed at it. So the object capability architecture comes from a lineage of secure operating systems, including Kiko, Cineros, and Kyotos, um, Midori operating system at Microsoft, SEL4 out of Australia, arguably the most secure operating system on the planet at the moment. And uh, and and that architecture we built into languages. So Mark Miller and I on various different projects put that architecture into object programming languages in order to solve you know real industrial problems, large scale systems, and so forth. And 
uh, so Markham started a project at Google called the Kaha project to drive those security elements deliberately into JavaScript. So it was instead of, hey, the world needs another programming language and try and get adoption there, it's let's help solve the problem in the context of a language that people are using already for, you know, applications on the web. Mm -hmm. And so, so he, uh, Doug Crockford, Chip Morningstar, various others, um, drove deliberately into JavaScript the elements to make it so that we could produce a secure kernel in JavaScript. And there's an accident of history that we all benefit from there. And it's sort of a, a, a fun story that when JavaScript came out, the, the, the language elements of JavaScript were standardized in ECMA, in the, in the ECMA International Standards Committee. And the web aspects of JavaScript were standardized in W3C. And as a result, we ended up as an accident of, of history or politics or what have you with a strong user mode, system mode separation. Anyone familiar with operating systems knows that the kernel of the operating system runs in system mode and has access to lots of different authority and user programs run in user mode and have access to only exactly what they're permitted. And it turns out the separation in JavaScript is actually superior to what you can easily do in Java or C Sharp or many of these other languages that you should expect to be able to be produce a your system. And so combined with the elements that Markham and others drove into JavaScript over the last, literally the last decade um, to make it a, you know, that got us to the point where we could, with others, Salesforce is an especial contributor to this, we built a security kernel in JavaScript that, 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 that lets us do this object capability model where I can safely take JavaScript code from you know, as I always use Dr. Evil's Evil Emporium and run it in a compartment, giving it only limited access to be able to, for example, negotiate with me, but not break out and take all of my money. And that that is what lets us, that's what lets Salesforce run their app exchange with Locker Service so that third parties can provide applications that party on sales data and it, it provides the secure encapsulation and coordination between multiple applications. MetaMask is, is, is looking to use it to secure their module architecture and we use it for... Um, uh, for smart contract security. And so, so it turns out that it's not just we're doing, doing JavaScript because uh, millions of programmers, are, what is it, 80% of the programmers in the world understand JavaScript. And so we're, we're, we're enabling those people to be able to participate in smart contracts. But it also turns out to actually be a really good idea. And so, so it was sort of that, that, that confluence that enabled um, this particular uh, uh, approach to doing smart contracts. And, and we're just really excited about it because, because it means that, you know, essentially one of the characterizations I have is if a programmer could build a web app yesterday, tomorrow I want them to be able to do it in a decentralized fashion. And that's really the goal is, is enabling people to go do their thing in a decentralized fashion so that we can get all the new different ways that people cooperate and bring that online and have computers help us with them. Wow. Well, this was a pleasure. And obviously, as I said, I want to have you guys back on again to catch up and see how things have transpired over the last six or so months. And you can find out more about Agoric by going to their website, agoric.com. Um, and Dean, if there's any place else people can go to learn more. 
uh, I am confident that uh, some programmers will want to go to GitHub slash Agoric, A-G-O-R-I-C. And uh, from agoric.com, you can reach our references, you can get to our blog on Medium, that sort of thing. So starting there or starting from GitHub is probably the right answer. Amazing. Again, this was Dean Dribble at Agoric, one of the teams that has some of the most experience in the entire space. I definitely recommend checking it out, checking them out, talking to them, learning more. Dean, it was a pleasure, and we'll have you back on again soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. I look forward to talking to you again. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter. Arca at Arca or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.